Mats Marie, welcome to First Up. It's Ramere, Friday the 10th of March. Call Nathan Raradia. Ho, what have we got coming up for you today? Well, California prepares for more wild weather. The Act Party wants flood affected businesses to be exempt from minimum wage increases in fair pay agreements. Passion fruit! We meet the mother and son carving out a big name for themselves in the world of competitive wood chopping. And the country's largest car dealer warns people looking for a second-hand vehicle, check carefully that it hasn't been damaged in the floods. I would argue right now if you uh, spot a very good deal in Auckland or Hooks Bay on a used vehicle, there's a, there's a high likelihood that there may be an issue with that car. to you all it was a uh, the it was dr- well drum roll night uh, drum roll on the driveway night for us if you too have forgotten to put your wheelie bin out just a reminder to you it might be driveway drum roll uh, for you today but anyway welcome to first up we have a varied program for you today uh, we actually begin uh, in the USA this morning in New York with our correspondent Catherine Furkin Morena Catherine how are you hi there I'm good Nathan So tell me about this. President Biden set to release the budget, the 2024 budget today. What are people thinking they can expect? Yeah, well, President Biden is travelling to Philadelphia today to tout this 2024 budget. We are expecting that it will detail his priorities on education, healthcare and a host of other key issues. But really importantly, it will give us a good preview of what he would run on if he does go ahead and announce a 2024 re-election bid, which we are expecting him to do. We know that the proposal will include things like capping the price of insulin uh, at $35 a month. That's a big deal for Americans here. But the other thing we know is that there will be a range of tax increases included. Uh, Biden's been widely criticised over the government's deficit and his spending. And going into an election campaign, he certainly wants to change that perception. The White House says that the budget will cut deficit by nearly $3 trillion US dollars over 10 years. The only way he's going to do that, though, is by increasing a host of different taxes. We're expecting things like raising Medicare taxes on households who earn maybe 400000 or more, creating a new minimum tax on billionaires. We're also expecting him to raise the corporate tax rate to 28%. And I just want to stress, Nathan, that this budget proposal, whatever it entails, it is basically dead on arrival in Capitol Hill. Republicans now, of course, control the House. So whatever Congress enacts is likely to look very different from what Biden wants. Right. And, yeah, that, that does make it interesting, doesn't it? And, and also, though, I guess we'll keep it White House here. They've, they've come in and launched a pretty extraordinary attack on uh, Tucker Carlson, the Fox News host. What, what's been said and does it make any difference? Yeah, well, it is highly unusual to see the White House go after a TV personality directly, but certainly Tucker Carlson appears to have struck a nerve after airing what's being described as selectively edited clips of the January 6th riot. We even saw the White House press secretary come out during her daily news conference and take the time to personally attack him, saying that his programming was shameful. And the White House response is really just the latest in what's been a pretty swift backlash against the Fox News host certainly from the Democrats and from some Republicans too. 
We also saw the US Capitol Police Chief come out and accused Carlson of deliberately misleading his audience. He thought that Carlson had uh, cherry-picked karma moments of the 41,000 hours of security footage to try to make it look like it was a fairly peaceful protest. It's an interesting time, though, for Tucker Carlson because he's also the subject of... uh, well, he's the subject of several damning documents released as part of a lawsuit against Fox. He's not personally being sued. But uh, it is interesting that in some of those documents, we see some private messages from Carlson, which seem to suggest he holds different personal political views to those that he shares with his audience. Mm, good old paycheck. It'll make you say many things on camera. Um, <laughs> we've had a lot of experience with horrible weather here in New Zealand. An atmospheric river is something we're familiar with from a couple of months ago. It looks like a pretty massive one set to hit central and northern California. Yes, poor old California's had a bit of a rough ride recently with the weather. Uh, Another of these so-called atmospheric rivers is likely to drench the region tonight and well into the weekend. It could bring dangerous amounts of rain to many of the places that are now already buried in heavy snow. And that, of course, is bringing fears that it could lead to widespread flooding because the rainfall could loosen some of the snow, especially at higher elevations, which would increase the amount of water that then ends up sort of travelling into the valleys. Residents are being told to have at least uh, 48 hours worth of food, medical supplies at home, also to brace for possible power outages. They're being told all the usual things, stay at home if you can, stay off the roads, uh, do everything you can to stay safe. Mm. Catherine, thank you so much for your time uh, with news from the United States. That is Catherine Furkin in New York City. It's 10 past five. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere. Russia has launched more than 80 missiles into Ukraine. Once again, targeting the country's energy infrastructure. A nuclear power plant was running on generators, but power has since been restored. Nine people are confirmed to have died in the latest strikes. The BBC's James Landell reports. This is what a cruise missile can do. A residential part of Lviv in the far west of Ukraine. Homes turned to rubble, streets torn apart, lives turned upside down. In all, five people died here. This may be hundreds of miles from the fighting, but this morning, it's very much on the front line. In all, Russia launched more than 80 missiles, more than 40 getting through the air defences, many striking energy infrastructure here in southwest Kyiv, but also in cities like Odessa in the south and Kharkiv in the north. Crucially, shelling cut off power to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, the largest in Europe, currently under Russian control. It's now running on diesel generators, but the risk of reactors overheating is real, much to the concern of the UN nuclear watchdog. How can we sit here in this room this morning and allow this to happen? This cannot go on. Each time we are rolling a dice. And if we allow this to continue, Time after time, then one day our luck will run out. In a residential area in northwest Kyiv, cars were damaged by falling debris and shrapnel after a Russian drone was shot down in the sky. Two people were injured and taken to hospital. There was an explosion in the sky. I saw smoke and fire. Victor told us how his car was damaged and how he tried to help his neighbours. 
Cars were set on fire. We took fire extinguishers from our vehicles to try and put them out, but it didn't succeed and the fires spread. The firefighters then arrived and put it all out. I'm fed up with it. Can't stand all this. I don't have the strength anymore. Why are they doing this? They're not acting like humans. They're scaring the children. These strikes might have been targeted against energy infrastructure, but here, not so much. As you can see, cars damaged, some of them destroyed and burnt out. All around me, there's windows have been blown in in the residence blocks. And over here, debris litters this children's playground. Meanwhile, fighting continues in the east, with Ukraine appearing to bolster its forces near Bakhmut. Despite reports of a possible withdrawal, commanders said the importance of holding the city was growing. James Landau reporting from Kiev. 13 and a half past five because we're being very exact at first up here on RNZ National for a Friday morning. Uh, you can text us just with the words uh, smooth or wrinkly, smooth or wrinkly. Uh, how do you like your, your passion fruit? How do you have them? What, what's the one you look for? Smooth or wrinkly? 2101, you can just text us those words and we'd love to get them for you. Okay, uh, it's time for our weekly visit to Africa and waiting for us in Ghana is Nabil Ahmed. Morena, Nabil. Morena, Nathan. Uh, let's start with the sad news in Nigeria. A lot of people injured and, and killed in a, a, a collision between a train and a bus in Nigeria. What can you tell us? Yes, uh, Nathan, uh, officials say 71 people were left injured uh, after the collision between the bus and then the train. Now, six people have so far been confirmed dead after uh, this accident that happened in the Nigerian city of Lagos. Now, eyewitnesses say the accident happened on Thursday morning uh, during rush hour, and both vehicles were actually uh, commuting um, passengers. Some of them were civil servants and uh, others were also being shuffled from the outskirts of Lagos into the main city when the uh, bus and then the train crashed at a railway crossing. Now, there's a lot of uh, sadness in Nigeria at the moment. You know, the country just finished their elections and they're grappling with some uh, contestation with regard to people going to court for the, I mean, outcome of the election. And this also happened, this accident. And the governor of Lagos has declared a three days of mourning and also a half work day on Friday uh, just because of this accident that has happened. And then flags will also fly at half-mast, Nathan. Yeah, it's very sad. Uh, tell us about this confusion in Zimbabwe over the electoral boundaries. Yes, you know, um, Zimbabwe will be heading to the polls in July or August. And now civil activists are voicing fears of voting confusion and irregularities. It comes after an analysis of electoral boundaries redrawn ahead of a national vote showed that some wards to be located uh, in Antarctica. Now imagine that in February, uh, the election authorities in the South African country uh, released a report demarcating wards and constituencies. But some of these appeared to fall outside the country's borders. Now, according to this pressure group, uh, the coordinates provided by the Zimbabwean Election Commission uh, show that in the dozens of cases, um, some of the locations fell within distant places like Antarctica and then the middle of the Indian Ocean. 
as well as in neighboring South Africa and then nearby Zambia. Now, what makes this thing worrying is that it means that some voters might not know uh, in which constituency their village or town falls. And even the, con uh, the candidates who are vying for the positions might also end up wasting their time campaigning to the wrong audience. And this is quite a worrying situation at the moment, uh, Nathan. Yeah, that's great to know that if you live in Antarctica, you could possibly vote in Zimbabwean elections. <laughs> Zimbabwe. There, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, the, the, the Kenyan Dairy Board has frozen milk powder importation. Why, why is that? Yes. Now, this indefinite ban on milk powder imports is to cushion local processors and farmers from surplus production in Kenya. Now, Kenya hopes that uh, the rainy season, which is expected to be a long one, will help improve fodder uh, production and also significantly boost local milk production, hence uh, reducing the need for imports. Now, the ban is actually seen to go against East African community free trade agreements on our free movement of goods and also services and the common market. Now, neighboring countries like Uganda and Rwanda are the two leading African countries from which Kenya actually imports its dairy um, products. And it's quite very expensive because Kenya is not able to produce its dairy. It relies on these neighboring countries and has to sell it at a higher price in order to make profit. So now the Kenyan board hopes that during this rainy season, um, the farmers will be able to uh, produce enough fodder for their cattle to be able to produce their milk. And then in essence, there will not be any need for them to rely on these imports from neighboring countries. Okay. Uh, we go to Kenya now where the first lady has declared prayers against homosexuality. What, why is this? Indeed, uh, Nathan, you know, issues of LGBT is still a problem in Africa. Most African countries do not condone it. And then this Kenyan first lady has declared a national prayer uh, against homosexuality uh, in the country because th she claims that it is against the family unit and that the family unit is actually under attack. Now, she is saying that um, the Supreme Court has actually ruled last month that upheld the LGBT community rights of association now while homosexuality remains criminalized in kenya the supreme court uh, has ruled that uh, refusal to allow the lgbt community to register uh, lobby groups in the country would violate their human rights to association as provided in the kenyan constitution now this is something which is really of contention because the ruling has been met with protests from even the president of the country, William Ruto, and other religious leaders in Kenya. And in fact, uh, the Attorney General of Kenya has said that the government would challenge this ruling by the Supreme Court. And they are saying that this particular issue of LGBTQ rights should be left for public to decide and not the courts. Uh, thank you very much, Nabil Ahmed, with all of your news from Africa. And he joins us each week out of Ghana. It is 20 past five. Nathan Rarida here at First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, the pillars of an early morning wake up. Fruit, sport, cars. There they are standing in the rear. Big one, small one, Joining us right now from an unspecified, very secret location in the fresh produce world is the Minister of Fruit and Veg. He is Glenn Forsyth. Morning to Glenn, how are you? 
Very well, thank you, Nathan. How are you? I'm good. Now, I knew we were talking passion fruit, so I asked early on, do you like them smooth or wrinkly? Paul Anderson from Devonport's like, well, smooth. Uh, sorry, definitely wrinkly, much sweeter. Another one, wrinkly when they're sweet. Every gardener knows this. I grew up with a passion fruit vine at the house, you see, and I used to quite like them when there was the smooth, but they're, Glenn, you know, for a little bit of the, it was a little bit tart then, a little bit of that taste as well going on with the old passion fruit. But this is the time to get them, right? Absolutely, and so, so lucky for you to have a passion fruit vine. Do you like them, Nate? They're pretty cool, aren't they? Yes, yes, Mm. absolutely. They're very good. Five Plus A Day have done an article on them this week saying New Zealand's passion fruit growers are excited to share the fruit of their labour. Now, they are a real delicacy, but a labour-intensive crop that require careful management throughout the growing season. We have a small team of commercial growers based in subtropical areas such as Northland, Bay of Plenty and Taranaki, but many of our growers were affected by the severe frost in October, if we remember, and the lack of sunshine hours this summer hasn't helped either. Now, even though three passion fruit probably can cost the same as a cup of coffee, the fruit delivers the nutritional benefits of dietary fibre to keep your gut healthy and powerful antioxidants such as vitamin C and E to support your immune system. Yeah, so they are a treat. Passion fruit, they can add a tropical twist to salads. Add passion fruit pulp to a dressing for a classic green salad or mix the pulp with chunks of cucumber and peach. Add baby spinach and cherry tomatoes, then drizzle it with chilli and lemon for a deliciously sweet and spicy combination. So check out more passion fruit recipes on the 5 Plus A Day website. Now, can you believe it or not, there are 20 on there. So there's some amazing things you can do with passion fruit. I'm going to say I've never heard passion fruit and spinach. I'm going to be honest there with you. Actually, <laughs> were, were they really good on, 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 on like a porch or something like that? Because New Zealanders love this whole eating outside thing. What's quite good is um, when, when you grow the vines, they grow very easy and there's such good shade, you know, because those leaves get nice yes. and huge. So yes. it's lovely. And you, feel, you just feel very exotic. You always feel you're like you're living at the White Lotus. Uh, tell me this. Um, veggie stocks. How are the veggie stocks looking over the past month? Yeah, we've been through so much in the last several weeks. I mean, really smacked from pillar to post. But some good news is areas unaffected are doing their best to keep us fed. And Gisborne and Pukekohe, they're slowly recovering. Our hearts still go out to Hawke's Bay and Northland, however. Our growers and crops there have been severely impacted. Onions and carrots, they top the list for your most solid choices. Greens are not a disaster, and you could choose a cabbage, some broccoli or leeks, or a bag of Brussels sprouts, all to have on hand this weekend for your dinners. Bagged salads are back to semi-normal supply, was how one salesman termed it yesterday, and at least a lot better than a week ago. Three other vegetables in good supply at the Auckland markets were courgettes, white butter mushrooms, and cucumbers. Now, if you're free at 11am in Ashburton this morning, a brand new greengrocer is opening at the old Stones Farm building called Produce Pals Fruit and Veggies. A couple of opening day specials we hear are red seedless grapes and up to three kilos of tomatoes for $3.99 a kilo. Now that is crazy. Um, that is nearly, uh, sorry, they are nearly double that at the mm, wholesale markets mm. today. So, so you know, a, almost a, um, a drive from Christchurch for them. Just get in and completely Augustus gloop all the tomatoes you can. It's worth it at, at that price. Um, <laughs> hey, the, um, so, uh, speaking of red things, the ruby reds are back. Oh, mate, you're looking forward to this, starting with a couple of your favourites, Nate. The yeah. cute, little kiwi, yeah, cute little kiwi berries, they're punching their best at present. And the first colour New Zealand kiwi fruit out of the blocks for the new season is the ruby red. Now, there are more this year as commercial planting's coming on now, but in saying that, the season is still relatively short at about six to eight weeks. Now, wave goodbye to apricots and watermelon. However, rock melons are nice, and newer lines such as fijoas, nashi pear, New Zealand limes, and Valencia oranges, they're all in good supply. Peru mangoes are selling well, and very happy 
happy with fruit of the week today as it's a personal summer fruit favourite of mine. What is your fruit of the week, Glenn? Plums. Happy to get these in. Last of the Hawke's Bay plums due to harvest in a week and a variety called Malone. Now, that's that's been a New Zealand variety named after a retired breeder from Havelock North. Central Otago, they've had a fabulous growing conditions. Best of the five, you know, best of the last five seasons with many varieties available for all tastes. Uh, get this, Freedom, Fortune, Angelino, Sun Gold, Royal Star and, and Louisa. Hard to beat the old school ones though, Black Doris and the exceptional Amiga. I still remember over 30 years ago, the Murphys of Greytown, they used to hand polish all their Omegas, uh, you know, with sheep's wool. And dad would always buy them, buy the box load for home. Our happiest time of the plum season were, were the Amigas. So try to get some this weekend. Gee, load up on a box load of those and lanolin go right on through you. Hey, thank you very much, Glenn. There he is. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> Glenn Forsyth with stories of passion fruit and plums. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. I think I like the smooth ones too, because I was basically just in, impatient. I wanted to eat them. That's why. Uh, it is the 10th of March. It is Kate Shepherd's birthday. Kate Shepherd was born on this day in 1847 in Liverpool uh, before immigrating to New Zealand. Still with us celebrating birthdays, John Hamm, you know, Don Draper. Mad Men. He's 52 years old today. Nene Carlson, otherwise known as Nina Cherry, was born in Stockholm in this day in 1964. She's 59 years old today. Rick Rubin, music producer who went, yeah, I like this. And he got one of these local weird rap hop bands or whatever you call yourselves, Run DMC, and he said, why don't we combine you with Aerosmith and uh, we'll do the song Walk This Way. That might go okay. And it did, Rick Rubin. He's 60 years old today. Sharon Stone is 65. And it's Chuck Mar- Norris's birthday today. Now, you've heard lots about these chat GPT things. So I typed in, give me three Chuck Norris jokes. Here's what it wrote back. Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups. He pushes the earth down. Chuck Norris once threw a grenade and killed 50 people. Then it exploded. And Chuck Norris can cut through a hot knife with butter. And then the chat GPT wrote, It's worth noting that while these jokes are funny, they should not be taken too seriously. Chuck Norris is a well-respected martial artist and actor who has made significant contributions to his field. Thank you, chatbot. On this day in 1801, the first official census was held in Britain and there was uh, revealed there were about 10 million people. On this day in 1995, the Auckland Warriors made their debut in the Winfield Cup. The good old days when men played for cigarettes. And on this day in 1997, Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, came out and debuted. And if you're getting married or you're involved in a marriage, um, maybe you're going to a wedding tomorrow, March the 11th, that was the day in 1302 it's been uh, ascertained that that would have been Romeo and Juliet's wedding day. So that's romantic. However, if you are going to a wedding this weekend, I hope it just lasts longer than, than that marriage did. And you work hard for the money, so that's why we've got Anandzaki keeping an eye across all of it. How are you, sir? Very well, thank you. How are you? Pretty good. Tell me about its um, spending. Bit of spending, the uh, the retail card spend. How's that going at the moment? It's a bit flat, is it? 
It is a little bit. Uh, probably unsurprising uh, given the effects of Cyclone Gabrielle. Uh, Stats NZ data shows uh, seasonally adjusted retail card spending was uh, steady uh, at $6.6 billion last month uh, compared to January. Uh, January saw a sharp increase, actually, about a 2.6% uh, rise, so a decent bump there in January. Uh, a lot of retail categories um, in February um, saw increases, but the one category that took a, a hit was uh, apparel, so clothes and shoes. Unsurprisingly, as the cyclone hit, people's priorities were for uh, things like uh, groceries, um, and, uh, you know, liquor, actually. Liquor also saw a big jump. Mm. Um, uh, now, ASB, uh, who analysed all the data, uh, they reckon spending will uh, rise uh, in the clothes and shoes categories in the coming months as people just replace the damaged goods and repair work start. Now, spending, of course, is a big, uh, important thing for inflation. So what does this mean for the inflation uh, picture? Remember that Reserve Bank wants to slow down in spending to combat uh, out-of-control inflation. While ASB uh, reckon the repairs, uh, replacing damaged goods, uh, will fuel a bit more inflation, uh, in the short term at least. Mm. Um, Tell me about this, uh, the US Consumer Report showing that internal combustion car engine drivers, they're more satisfied than EV owners. It's because you can still make the vroom vroom sound when you rev it, eh? (laughs) It's the sound, isn't it? It's the sound. That's not very sexy at the lights. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it looks like a little hum, isn't it? Um, Look, this is a a report from uh, Reuters who is studying a US, uh, who is citing a US study. Uh, So customer satisfaction... Uh, of battery electric vehicle owners, so not uh, not hybrid vehicles, these are full electric cars, um, is a lot lower than your traditional car owners. That's despite all the billions that big car makers are committing towards building EVs. And the main reason seems to be recall rates. Uh, they are more than double for battery electric vehicles than their petrol and diesel counterparts. And uh, as a result, EV customer satisfaction is 42 points lower than Mm. petrol diesel car owners. And unsurprisingly, uh, people, yes, they want clean cars, but they want reliability, which you hope uh, will improve as EVs become more popular. I want to reliably um, get into climate change. That's what I want. If I'm going to to contribute to it, I want to... (laughs) I want reliability and what I'm chucking out into the atmosphere. Thank you very much. And Anzaki, you can hear more from the business team uh, this morning on Morning Report at 10 to 7. Actually, we've got a thing coming up on vehicles to have a listen with that before 6. To your money market now, your New Zealand dollar buys 61.38 US cents, 92.64 Australian cents, 58.02 Euro cents, 51.48 British pence, 4.2 yuan and 83. 3.54 Japanese yen. Well, a Canterbury mother and son are carving out a big name for themselves in the world of competitive wood chopping. Raywin Winsley and her 15-year-old son Lockie are both competing at the South Island Championships in Waimati this weekend. Raywin is a world title holder and has half a dozen New Zealand records to her name, while Lockie recently made the national under-21 team. The Windleys spoke to reporter Jean Edwards, who started by asking Raywin about her specialty. 
I guess I would say it's a soaring just because I've been doing it for so many years. Not such a big fan of doing it by myself. They call the single saw the misery whip and um, I have a very love-hate relationship with that. Mine would be the double soaring, so I um, had most of my success in both the Jack and Jill and Jill and Jill. What's it like working with a partner? It takes a lot of practice to get the right connection if you and your partner aren't in unison it makes it very hard work but once you gel and you get it going and the saw is just flowing effortlessly it's like slicing butter it's such a fast sport isn't it you haven't got any room for error really do you oh not at all i think my world title i hold is 8.92 seconds so it's yeah you've got to remember to breathe in that time but it's pretty fast and what discipline was that in that was in the jack and jill so in Tasmania in 2019, I won that with Robert Dowling. What do you enjoy the most about it? The people is, is the big thing, but I think when you're in those really high-pressure situations where the race is really on, it's the adrenaline kick that you get and just the rush that comes from finishing the race, and hopefully you're in the first place. What sort of training and preparation are you doing for the champs in Waimati this weekend? We are coming towards the end of our season, so most weekends we've been away competing, which really helps with getting that competitive edge going. Now this week is just very much about fine-tuning all those little things that haven't been happy with or just want to really finesse, but also trying to make sure your well-being. You don't want to get to the champs in the weekend and be completely burnt out because you've trained so hard this week. And Lockie, your son's in the team with you. Are you hoping to compete together? Definitely. I'm pretty proud of him to be named in this team. And if the opportunity comes for him to be soaring with me in the team's race, it's going to be an amazing experience. Yeah, just getting him into that environment is just fantastic. And what sort of woodchopper is Lockie? This year has been his year. He has just absolutely flourished into an awesome young woodchopper And Sawyer, actually, he's really picking up his disciplines and just, yeah, doing really well. And what's your ultimate goal? Would you both like to be representing New Zealand perhaps at the same time? To have a mother and son in New Zealand teams would be amazing. I think I would really love for us to do as well as I am in the Jack and Jill soaring. I would love for him to pair up with me at the Royal Shows or even for a world title and hopefully that's something that we can do together. So, Lockie, what do you think of your mum's achievements in woodchopping? Pretty incredible. A few world titles every year, something that I get to aim for, and hopefully surpass her one day. What are your favourite disciplines? Underhand, because it's just simple. My first ever one, the one that I mostly trained on. You stand on the block and they start counting down and then you know your mark and then it's kind of like a race, pretty much. And what sort of skills do you need to be really good at the sport? Most of it comes with training, so the fitness and then the explosive power. I get most of that from training, but then there's also the uh, technique aspect of it, where you have to uh, hit the axe in this specific spot, and then if you miss, you kind of buggered it all up. And how did you feel when you made the under-21 national team? I was pretty stoked about that. Wasn't really expecting it for another few years, but yeah, guess the training's just been paying off. It's a pretty big milestone. That's the Windleys. Reckon Barry Guy. What about that? Doesn't that take you back to the? I remember when I was a, a, a boy. Dad got me into that. There, you want to watch this? Son, his buddy Sonny Bolstad. <laughs> Loved Sonny Bolstad. Jason Winyard. Yeah, Jason Winyard. 
Yeah. What? I uh, when I was a young reporter on Nelson, I went out to the AMP show. Yeah. And I was uh, watching yeah. watching the underhand. Yeah. And afterwards, I spoke to the guy who won, and I said, "Why don't you wear steel cap boots?" And he said, "This blade is so sharp that go straight through them. Ooh. So you might as well just wear sneakers as they were." Because I thought, "Blimmin', you know that blade's only a couple of inches away from their feet." Uh, the other thing I was just picking up this morning, uh, yes. Nate, because your show, you know, promotes so much um, thought and memories. Of course, is a uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was Ricky Bobby's son from yes. Talladega Nights. <laughs> That's right. These are my sons, Walker and Texas Ranger. <laughs> and uh, you talked about Broom Brooms, big Broom Brooms this weekend. Newcastle, the uh, the oh. r- reveal of the Chevrolet Camaro, is uh, for the, which has taken over, of course, from Holden. Mm. And, uh, you know, Ford Mustang's been there for a couple of years now. It'll be interesting to see how the, uh, how the Camaro... Goes over in, it's such a good name uh, to come my, my mate Hamish Quinney, his dad had a Monaro, and we were thinking yeah. that was pretty cool. My uh, neighbour, uh, they had a Tirana, and yep. which I think um, uh, Peter Brock, he won a Bathurst in a Tirana one year, didn't he? You know, a Holden Tirana. Probably. Well, he did everything in, yeah. in, in, in every Holden going. Yeah, so that'll be, uh, I'll be keen to just to see how that goes. So, yes, the old. Uh, um, NASCAR influences is here now in, in supercars, so um, looking forward to that. Yeah, yep. Steve, can you move that Camaro? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, anyway, <laughs> get get, the Commodore. you got to get the Commodore <laughs> to get that Tirana out. Hey, uh, so tell us very quickly. Uh, give us a give us a pricey on the the cricket from yesterday. Yeah, the uh, Black Caps won the toss and it looked a bit green haggly over. I thought we'll be in here, and they more or less were in the first hour. Sri Lanka are all sorts of trouble, but uh, Sri Lanka um, they're playing blimmin. Well, because they're on a chance of making the World Test Championship final. They battled through that first over, finished the day 305 for uh, six. Mm. Upside for the Black Caps, Tim Southies, now the second all-time Test wicket-taker for New Zealand, behind Richard Hadley, of course. And I think all combined across all three formats, uh, it's uh, he's now number one. Tim Southey ahead of Daniel Vittori. Big game in the Super Rugby, Hurricanes Blues. Just depends, I think, um, which side manages to keep most players on the field. Might come out on top of that one. And can anyone uh, topple Chiefs uh, Manua in the Opeki competition? They They take on Matatu this weekend. So uh, it could be them that are set to to wrap it up again. Uh, Big night uh, tonight. The Breakers take on uh, Sydney Kings Game 3 of the NBL Finals. And the Warriors are at the Roosters uh, this weekend. Uh, the Roosters lost last weekend to Wayne Bennett's to the new side, the Dolphins. Dolphins. Oh, yeah, what is going on there? Yeah, he's a genius. He never loses in the first round, and he, and he did it again. Yeah, so a lot on this weekend. Looking forward to it. Wonderful. Thank okay. you very much. And Brilliant. he's just the man to keep his eye on that. That's Barry Guy. We were talking about Walker, Texas Ranger, because it is Chuck Norris's birthday today. There you are, just in case you tuned in and wondered why. Uh, Nathan Rarity here as we uh, speed towards 6 o'clock in a safe manner. Uh, Brooke Van Felden from the ACT Party stands by to have a talk to us. And also, too, we're going to speak to the country's largest car dealer just for some buyer beware about vehicle bargains that might be appearing nowadays. <laughs> Well, it's a very, very special Friday, everybody. Corin Dan live in studio. In studio, slightly, Woo! slightly disorientated How this morning. This? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Everyone's all. <laughs> but sideways. nice to see you in person, Nathan. Yes. Sorry, we're making you sit down because you're a stander. 
Because there's standard. normally radio standards and radio sitters, and I reckon it's how you learn. So I learned as a sitter with a very high desk, so I've got that habit of putting my chair really low. Uh, so the I desk just got a bad back. You're, you're, oh, all. is that what you got? <laughs> I've just got a bad back. Why are you up here? Why are you up here? Oh, I, was go- I went to Guy and Esmond's book launch. There you go. Oh, wonderful. Yes, and uh, good excellent hors book. Good hors d'oeuvres. Uh, yeah. Lovely gathering of people. Some high-powered people there, I have to say. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah there was, yeah. No, he got a, he pulled a crowd. Um, so that was good. That was good. Um, What's happening today? What is happening today? Well, we're going to follow up on the issue around data for ED rooms uh, and this issue with the mistake from Te Whata Ora yesterday. We've got the minister on today, uh, Health Minister Aisha Verrill. Uh, so we'll get to the bottom of that um, and whether that has caused any ripples or implications for further uh, data releases and whether there is confidence in the systems. Mm. Uh, the strike, the primary school teachers, kindergarten yes. teachers, that's a big st- big story and a big issue. Well, in the U, uh, to, in the Ukraine, of course, there's been a lot of missiles overnight, so we need to find out what's going on over there. A very nasty, heavy barrage uh, right across uh, Ukraine. So we'll cover off all of those things. I'm sure there'll be some sports chat yep. at some point. Wedge it on in there. It's yeah, it's a lot. It's Warriors are looking good week two. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're right, right at the top. <laughs> Chance Nickel. Clock snapped. He's, he's tied for player of the year so far. It's going great. Thank you very yeah, much, Corey. Very good. Cheers. There we go. Well, the, the latest political poll suggests that ACT could become the kingmaker this year in the election. So according to the Taxpayers Union Courier poll, uh, a single seat could decide if it's National or Labour that will form the government. So it looks like this. Both major parties are polling at about 35%, uh, while a Labour and Greens coalition stands at 41.2%, National and ACT are at 44.1%, but overall ACT's popularity has dropped two points to 9.3%. This comes as the party's just released its policy paper for flood recovery. So joining us now is ACT's deputy, it's Brooke Van Felden who's with us. Brooke, thank you very much for being here. So having a look at that poll there, would you rather have your two rating points back or hang on to that um, position of, of kingmaker in the election? Oh, good morning, Nathan. I think this poll is a positive poll for people who'd like to see a change of government um, and to get rid of Labour and the Greens and the divisive policies that they've been pushing through on people, uh, but to focus on the real issues that matter. Um, But it's also a really positive poll for people who'd like real change and who'd like to uh, give their vote to act for us to represent them and be their voice in Parliament. Uh, The poll shows that ACT is still sitting higher uh, than our poll on election night uh, 2020. Uh, so I think this puts us in a, a good position to continue to grow and be a stronger voice for people who want reason in Parliament. I know you, you, you know you mentioned that they were divisive, but Labor's actually uh, taken the lead in the poll for the first time since March last year. So what do you make of that? Why do you think that, that, that it's become more popular then? Oh, look, I think there's there's always a likelihood that any new leader will get a little bit of a bump or a honeymoon period. But you've got to take these polls um, as a trend rather than just each poll um, as, as a new poll that could form the government. What we've been seeing over time um, is that more and more people are coming to act. We're still riding higher than our election night result. Um, and I suspect that will continue to grow uh, as we get closer to the election. Uh, what I really want to see, though, is not just a change of government, which this poll does show, uh, but what we want to see is a change of direction of the country. And I think a stronger act with National uh, would really put us in a good stead uh, to get rid of the divisive policies that this government has been trying to push through. 
Okay, so let's um, talk about your party's just released its flood recovery plan. It suggests that flood-affected businesses be exempt from minimum wage increases and fair pay agreements. I mean, that's not great for workers, is it? Talk, talk us through that and why you think it's a good thing. Look, it's very clear uh, that this recovery is going to cost a lot of money, um, and rightfully so. A lot of people have lost nearly everything, and it's caused an awful amount of destruction uh, around our regions. Uh, what is clear for us is we don't want a repeat of what happened after COVID, where we borrowed and spent, and we spent wastefully. Uh, so we know that we have to reprioritize uh, money, and we have to reprioritize policy. Uh, what I don't want to see is, you know, people like um, the orchards who have been massively hit. Uh, having to go through uh, wage increases at the exact same time that they don't have uh, stock coming through, uh, they don't have their plantings for next year. Uh, a lot of companies and businesses have been really hurt. Uh, so why would we want to push on to them even more cost increases at the time when they don't have revenue coming in. Uh, so we're saying let's put pause on that. Uh, but we've also got a range of policies that would make it easier to rebuild and recover for the whole region uh, because we know that we've got to get onto it fast uh, and we can't have what happened in Christchurch uh, where the government got so bogged down and wanting to be involved in, any, in everything. But we've got to sit back and let the community rebuild. Yeah, Brooke, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, joins us every Friday morning, gets it very early to do so. That's Act, Act Deputy Leader Brooke Van Felden. Well, uh, by now, uh, you've all become pretty accustomed to images of cars stuck in floodwaters or vehicles abandoned, having been submerged by silt. Uh, if you go to Trade Me, there's no shortage of auctions for vehicles, some of them pretty flash, actually, which have uh, packed it in uh, due to water damage. So what happens with all those flood-damaged cars that suddenly pop up for sale everywhere? To find out, I spoke with Greg Hedgepath, who's the chief executive of the Turner's Auto Retail Division. Yeah, I look, I mean, our business has two very separate divisions. One of them is the, the salvage division, where we partner with the big insurance companies to help them resell their vehicles, or written-off vehicles, to their parts recycling industry. What happens with those cars is they have an assessor. The assessor writes the car off due to flood damage. We get the car and we deregister the car and then we sell those cars specifically to parts the, the parts dismantling industry. Those cars are broken down for parts. They are obviously deregistered, so they're flagged in the system as a flood damaged car, so they will not be going back on the road. It's very difficult to get those cars back on the road through this very strict recompliance process that Wakit Katahi has. And essentially they end up in as parts on cars, the parts that are usable, so probably the non-electrical parts. That's one part of it. The other area, I guess, and where there's cars that are affected by the, the floods is probably more in the uninsured vehicles. So people who are, who have got uninsured vehicles, they don't have the ability to essentially get an insurance payout on a written-off car. So some of them uh, will probably do the right thing, I would imagine, and just say, look, this, this car is no longer fit to be on the road. Mm. We need to take it to a, to a parts dismantler or get it crushed or whatever it might be. But I'm sure there's some people out there that might may try and resell that car, get it all dried up and get it looking a bit better and then just see if they can get out of it and get some money out of it. So those are the ones that are, yeah, that we are very, 
very aware of, and I think the New Zealand public needs to be aware of them too. I would imagine that most of those cars will end up getting sold privately. Yeah. Uh, they won't be sold through dealers because, like us, we have got some very stringent checks in place where our guys are going through these cars with a fine-tooth comb, looking for signs of dampness or looking for any indications like smell or anything like that. There's a few other tricks and, and secret things with it that, that, yeah. that in terms of the systems and, and, and the tools that we've got that we use to uh, run analytics and diagnostics on these cars to see if there's any damage. But... Yeah, so so we're very confident that that we're not going to be buying any of these cars, and we certainly would never be selling uh, any of them. But I think the New Zealand public certainly needs to be aware of vehicles that are appearing on websites where they uh, their private sales, especially if they look like too good a deal to be true. To that end, then, Greg, our boss Pip spotted a Tesla with a three dollar reserve. Is that probably in the perhaps too good to be true category? Maybe, maybe. Look, it's it's difficult to tell without having a look at the vehicle it's, itself. But yeah, I would argue right now, if you uh, spot a very good deal in Auckland or Hawke's Bay on a uh, on a used vehicle, yeah. there's a there's a there's a high likelihood that there may be an issue with that car. The key thing is, if you're a vehicle trader, uh, a licensed motor, motor vehicle trader, you have responsibilities under the Consumer Guarantees Act, and if that car is flood damaged uh you know chances are it might not be now but two three four five months down the track something's going to go wrong with that car mainly in the electrics because that's where the corrosion happens and that's where they start to break down so if that, that car is sold by a trader the customer has every legal right in the world to take that car back to that that dealer and say i'm rejecting this car because this is obviously a flood damaged car and yeah you didn't disclose that Uh, Unfortunately, in a private-to-private sale, you don't have that kind of protection. So hence why uh, I think most of these cars will probably get sold through that private-to-private channel because, um, yeah, there's simply no no comebacks like if it was to go through a dealer. And I think, you know, the, the average punter, won't know exactly what to look for or won't have the tools or the team with the expertise to be fine checking the cars before they they purchase them. You've mentioned there about how the electrics on cars can go. When you have a look at things like flood damage, because I know a lot of people like, well, you know, my our Hilux still kept going and all that as well. The electric cars that we're moving towards now, how do they tend to cope with flooding? Yeah, well, the the batteries are, uh, are pretty well enclosed uh, on most of them, so it's not probably as big an issue as, as you think. But I guess the reality these days is, whether it's an electric car or a modern car, they have more and more electronic wiring looms and things like that, and sensors and so forth on the cars. So it's not just the electric cars; it's it's all cars have have this stuff, and and it's increasingly so as uh, more new models come out more new technology comes out on those cars so whether it's an ev or whether it's a combustion engine vehicle that's the key risk is the sensors the electronics the wiring as soon as water all gets submerged in water uh, it's a problem and as i said it might not be an immediate problem you might it might dry out and might be okay for a while but chances are down the track things are going to start to go wrong with that with that vehicle. So that's uh, that's where the challenge lies. Yeah. Greg, just one more thing before we go. And by the way, thank you sure. very much. You've been immensely helpful. This is this is really cool for our audience. Thanks so much. No, no, no problem. No one watches ads on TV anymore. However, everybody knows Tina from Turner's. <laughs> since this ad since this ad has come on, do people walk up with a smile and go, hey, Tina, where's, where's Tina? Do they do that? <laughs> 
<laughs> do you know what they actually do? Yeah, we. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, I mean that campaign. It's probably performed beyond our expectations. I guess it's fair to say, <laughs> and the feedback that we have had around Tina from everyone, you know, has been amazing. And uh, people have really fallen in love with her, which is kind of the uh, what we'd we'd hoped would happen. And yeah, I absolutely and my team we talk about it often whether we're at a barbecue or anywhere where we identify ourselves as being from Turner's, whether it's we're wearing the blue shirt or we happen to mention it to someone, the first thing that comes out of people's (laughs) mouths is generally, Tina, I love Tina. Oh, she's so great. So, yeah, no, it is. The feedback's been awesome. And, yeah, it's fair to say that uh, Tina will be around for a for a long time, I would say, based on how much New Zealand has walked to her. That's Greg Hedgepith from Turner's. And the question you all really wanted asked and answered, yes, uh, Tina from Turner's uh, does, in fact, remain as a, a key part of Turner's strategy. I'm going to take you out with Mrs Miller this week because I love a bit of Mrs Miller. Thank you very much for your patronage. Earlier on in the programme, I asked about smooth or wrinkly. And my goodness me, the wrinkly... Uh, passion fruit people, they arrived en masse uh, to tell me there that that's, that's the way you do it. Steve from Wilton um, says that um, I'm waiting for our bumper crop of passion fruit to turn from green to black. I'll tell you then. He's a passion fruit purist. Uh, Morena, we grow passion fruit in our garden in Autotahi with no frost protection. Last year we got 523 fruit. Beautiful. Nolene uh, is enjoying the show as well. Thank you very much, Maria from Central Auckland. Lovely message from you. And uh, thank you very much for your knowledge of the atmosphere too, Zoe. Good on you. Uh, Download our podcast first up. Take it with you all weekend. Morning Report is next with Marnie and Corin. Let's all go downtown together. Come on, Mrs Miller, take us out. First up, back in your ears on Monday. Go, go. Dolly, Tony, everything's weird.